Hey everyone, welcome to Schweitzer Church. Wherever you are, we're so glad you're here. My name's Corey, and I'll be our host in this online worship experience. And if you're new with us today, we have a gift we'd love to send you. Check in with us online and we'll send you a virtual Starbucks gift card so you can enjoy a brew on us. Today, we're in week eight of our sermon series on David. Sheila will be leading us through the wonderful message that God has for us today. And speaking of the message, we have sermon discussion notes and more at schweitzer.church/next. We encourage you to follow along during the message and look there for more ways to connect. And now, here's Stephanie to tell us more about what's happening here at Schweitzer. Hi, welcome to Schweitzer. I'm Stephanie. We have a lot of great opportunities for kids and families coming up this month. On Friday, July 21st, all ages are invited for a night of canvas and rock painting while enjoying pizza and popsicles in the Student Center. This will be going on from 6 to 7.30. Then on Friday, July 28th, come out and join us for our first outdoor movie night of the summer out behind the Student Center. We'll be showing the Super Mario Brothers movie, and we'll start at about eight o'clock or around dusk. We'll have free popcorn and snacks too. Both of these events are free to attend, but it does help us with planning if you sign up ahead of time. You can do that either on the Church Center app, at the Blue Booth, or at schweitzer.church kids. We look forward to seeing you there. Next Sunday evening, July 23rd, will be a special time in the life of our church as we have an ordination service for Sheila Pippin. We would love to see you all attend in the sanctuary at 6 p.m. and we'll have a reception to follow. In two weeks on July 30th, we'll be hosting river baptisms on the Finley River. Make plans to attend this special celebration followed by a church-wide picnic. We'll supply the hot dogs, the ice cream, and the music. We're just asking that you bring a side to share and some lawn chairs for our picnic time. And if you are interested in being baptized during this time, we ask that you reach out to Pastor Sheila or any of our staff. One last thing. Tonight, our modern worship team will be hosting a special night of worship at 6 p.m. in the sanctuary. We really hope you'll join us for this special time of prayer and praise. Thank you so much for choosing to join us this morning. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Stephanie, for sharing with us all those ways we can get connected. As always, you can learn more and sign up at schweitzer.church slash next. If you're worshiping with us live today, we invite you to join us in the chat. Say hi, share your insights, and if you're in need of prayer, we have someone readily available to pray with you. And now, on this beautiful day that the Lord has made, let's continue in worship. Sing my own song. And 
Lord, I confess that I'm far from innocent. These shackles I wear, I bought on my own. Scarlet sins had a crimson cross and nailed my debt to that old rugged cross An empty slave at the empty grave Thank God that stone was rolled away Lord, I confess I've been
As we come to this time of prayer, I invite you to join me as we go to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you for the gift of prayer, that we can come to you anytime with our celebrations and our struggles, and that you listen to us and that you're there for us. And God, I thank you that we can be here in worship today. And I pray that as we hear the sermon, that you speak to us and that you teach us to rely on your timing rather than our own, even when that timing doesn't always make sense to us. And Lord, as we continue to learn how to rely on your timing rather than our own, we join together in praying the prayer that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, we want to share with you something that happened just this past week, where six of our middle school students went to camp. Check out this video. Wow, that looks like a great time. And it's because of your generosity that ministries like this can happen at Schweitzer and around our community. As a reminder, you can continue to give by going to schweitzer.church give or by using our mobile church center app. Thank you so much for your generosity. Now, here's Pastor Sheila with week eight of our series on David.
Welcome to worship. My name is Sheila and I'm the pastor of congregational care here at Schweitzer. We're so glad you're here with us today. This is week eight of our sermon series about David. We have gone from Memorial Day and we're going all the way through Labor Day, exploring David's life and his amazing faith in God and his trust in God. We started with David as a young shepherd boy and we followed him as as he was anointed the next king of Israel by Samuel, the prophet, priest, and judge. We heard about his great victory over Goliath of Gath and about his service in the court of King Saul as a musician and as a warrior. We learned about his wonderful friendship with Saul's son, Jonathan, and of his marriage to Saul's daughter. But then the tables began to turn and we heard about Saul's tremendous jealousy of David because of David's accolades and his great achievements. David became someone who had to run and he had not one but two opportunities to kill Saul, to defeat his enemy, but he chose not to do so because he knew that it was something that was in God's hands and he respected that. Well, now here we are in 2 Samuel and David is just hearing about the death of King Saul and of his dear friend, Jonathan. This has to be a bittersweet moment for David. After all, he loved Saul and he served him in his courts. And and Jonathan was his dearest and closest friend. But David knows this is the historical event that would make him the king of all of Israel. This is the beginning of the Davidic line that would eventually give us Jesus Christ. Let's begin by reading from 2 Samuel The first chapter. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. On the third day, behold, a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. And when he came to David, he fell to the ground and paid homage. David said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I've escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said, how did it go? Tell me. And he answered, the people fled from the battle and also many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and his son, Jonathan are also dead. Then David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and his son, Jonathan are dead? The young man replied, by chance, I happened to be on Mount Gilboa. And there was Saul leaning on his spear and behold, the chariots and the horsemen were close upon him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me, and I answered, here I am. He said to me, who are you? I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me, stand beside me and kill me, for anguish has seized me, and yet my life still lingers. So I stood behind him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm, and I have brought them here to my Lord." Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were there with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man who told him, Where do you come from? He answered, I am the son of a sojourner, an Amalekite. David said to him, How is it you were not afraid to put out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed. David's mourning was sincere. He wasn't vengeful against Saul. 
And he reacted as you would expect from a man of honor. He showed respect at the death of King Saul. The Amalekite who brought the news of Saul and Jonathan's death to David did not realize how a devout man like David would react to the killing of Saul. David believed that God had anointed Saul as king and only God could remove him from that office. David sees this killing as a crime and dispenses justice rather than the reward that the man probably expected. David was so grieved at the news of Saul and Jonathan's death and he wrote a lament to express his feelings. This lament provided a release of emotion, a tribute to Saul, and a way to mark and remember this major event. David even asked that this lament, this profound expression of public and personal grief, be taught to all the people of Israel. Let's continue reading with verses 19. Your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offerings, for there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. It takes courage to lay aside hatred and hurt, especially when it comes to an enemy. David respected the good in his enemy Saul. He felt strongly about respecting King Saul and Jonathan, and he wanted to emphasize the good that Saul had done during his reign. He wanted to pay him tribute. He couldn't bear to think about the rejoicing that was happening by the Philistines over their victory over Saul. In his lament, David also wishes for a lack of blessing on the place where Saul and Jonathan died. Let's read verses 23 through 26. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. Your daughters of Israel weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. We already know from this series that Saul and Jonathan didn't have a perfect relationship as father and son. They clashed over the fact that Jonathan had a tremendous friendship with David. And it was very difficult for them to communicate during this time. But in the end, Saul continued to think of Jonathan as his heir. He maintained a relationship and they worked together and eventually fought and died side by side for Israel. Saul's death came about because he put himself and his desires before God. He was impatient with God and he put his own pride and power first. As we've heard in the past few weeks, David wrote beautiful songs in the Psalms to express his love and, and reverence for the Lord. Psalm 18 is the Psalm that he wrote when Saul was defeated. Let's read from that now. To the choir master, a Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, 
who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved for my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. David begins this psalm by declaring his love for God and acknowledging his strength that comes from the Lord and in the Lord's timing. David is confident of his trust in God and of God's gift of strength to him. Together, God and David make an unconquerable pair. I love that David uses the word rock and fortress and shield to describe God's unfailing love and strength and protection. Let's read on with verse 30. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. David always sought the guidance of God and counted on him to protect and save him. God is our shield and our strength. He's our protector when we're too weak to face the circumstances alone. He doesn't promise to eliminate our challenges and our difficulties, but he does promise to stand with us and beside us every step of the way. As we continue in that Psalm with verse 46, hear the words. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. I love the way David finishes this psalm. He declares God's blessings and interventions on him, on his behalf as proof of the living God. David was able to face the future as we are, knowing that God can, can and will be there for each of us when we call upon him with faithful and obedient hearts. As David ascends to the throne, keep in mind that it has not been by way of violence or disloyalty. He, was ne he never showed eagerness to take the throne from Saul. David trusted God to make him king 
in God's own way and in God's own time. He shows patience and goes to the Lord for guidance and for his next steps. David had many men at his side who would have fought to make him king before this time, but David refused to seek the throne in this manner. He humbled himself before God and sincerely sought his next actions in God's time. Let's go back now to 2 Samuel and the beginning of chapter 2. After this, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, to which shall I go up? And he said, to Hebron. So David went up there and his two wives also, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Once again, David sought God's direction for his next steps. Again, he wanted to be sure that he was moving forward in God's timing and not his own. There was no practical reason for David to move beyond Judah. This is where he would settle with his people. He cared for his people. They had followed him, and now they were settling together. David was watching over these folks as God watches over us. He didn't run ahead claiming himself to be king. He took everyone with him, and they were faithful to David, just as God is faithful to us. Again, we see David's patience to wait on the Lord. There is so much to learn from this story of David. One question we should be asking God is, what is my next step? God, what do you ask of me? I need to wait for your word and follow the path that you have designed for me. There are so many times we seek God's will, but then we twist and turn what we think the circumstances are to fit what we prefer and to make it our comfort zone. Consider David's patterns of seeking God's guidance and then waiting on God to provide the next steps. Even when Samuel anointed David to be the next king of Israel, he still patiently trusted God to bring him to this place of power. He resisted the temptation to take matters into his own hands. He proved he could have taken Saul's life twice and ended that struggle. But he respected the fact that the Lord had anointed Saul as king and he put the matter into the Lord's hands. He did not try to control or maneuver things for his own good. He waited patiently for the crown and stayed in touch with God and followed him faithfully. David was a man of prayer. He sought God's guidance when he needed to make decisions. He prayed for God's blessings before battles. And when things went well, he gave God credit and all the glory. He praised and thanked God privately and publicly. When David was faced with challenges or obstacles, he turned to prayer as his greatest tool. When God answered his prayer, David was quick to give thanks and praise. Is it our pattern to turn to prayer immediately? Do we turn to prayer first or at the first sign of trouble? Or do we wait until we're way in over our heads and then turn to God? Do we seek God to prevent trouble? 
David's life was marked by conversations with God. And when we earnestly seek, seek God's help and protection, he provides it. He's always good. God is always faithful. Sometimes he comes quickly and delivers us from trials, but sometimes God answers our prayers in a very different way. God provides moments of peace and calm as we go through every trial. Either way, God is with us. As I marvel at the patience of David, I can't help but think about my own struggles with impatience. We are such a society of impatient people. We want and expect quick answers and fixes to all of our questions and problems. We uh, speed date, we eat fast food, we attempt weekend diets, we um, use the express checkout lines, we expect next day shipping, we honk when the light turns green, we take shortcuts, we start things that we just never, you get what I mean. We are impatient. Studies show that impatience can be harmful to your health and well-being. Impatience is linked to hypertension, obesity, and possible financial insecurity. In other words, being impatient can leave you tense, overweight, and broke. Impatience can be a result of living in a chaotic world, or perhaps it's a result of not putting God at the center of our lives. Author Beth Moore has this to say about impatience. The world breeds impatience. We have to go to the word of God to find patience. Convenience does not produce character. Our impatience is rooted in the fact that everything we do is marked by time. In our everyday world, we have the reality of chronos, a Greek word meaning chronological time, which is quantitative. God himself ordained this measurement of days as introduced in Genesis 1, Genesis 1 on the fourth day of creation to mark seasons and days and years. Examples of chronos might be uh, the worker who can't wake for 5 p.m. so they can get away from their job that they dislike so much. Or maybe it's the, the worshiper who has made plans following the service and is impatient because the sermon's getting a little too long for their taste. But in our relationship with God, we have a special blessing of kairos, which is qualitative and of a more permanent nature. Kairos is God's dimension, not one marked by the past, the present, or future. It is the concept, the not knowing about kairos, that when it will happen and how it will happen, that can be very difficult to, to be patient about. In the book Future Grace, John Piper says this, Impatience is a form of unbelief. It's what we begin to feel when we start to doubt the wisdom of God's timing or the goodness of God's guidance. It springs up in our hearts when our plan is interrupted or shattered. It may be prompted by a long wait in a checkout line or a sudden blow that knocks out half of our dreams. The opposite of impatience is not a glib denial of loss. It's a deepening, ripening, peaceful willingness to wait for God in the unplanned place of obedience and to walk with God at the unplanned pace of obedience. To wait in his place and go at his pace.
There are so many instances in the Bible that remind us of God's timing and not our own. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Ecclesiastes 3.11, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Galatians 4.4, But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. 2 Peter 3, verse 8, With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. And maybe my favorite, from Esther chapter 4, Perhaps you were created for such a time as this. These are kairos moments, Moments ordained by God and not by our own will. The cross was another Kairos moment. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God is not bound by the confines of space or time. He meets us where we are and when we least expect Him. A friend calls you out of the blue to check in with you. A coworker takes a moment to lend a hand. A terrible day is turned around by the laughter of a child. God is always surprising us with His perfect timing. Kairos is a powerful moment when time stands still. It is God's time, fixed by Him, to be used for His purposes. Jesus' ministry was filled with Kairos moments. Jesus called Zacchaeus down from the sycamore tree, and as a result, Zacchaeus vowed to pay back four times uh, as much as he owed to the people that he had stolen from and to give half of all he had to the poor. No one was paying any attention to blind Bartimaeus when Jesus heard his cries, and that was the blind man's kairos moment. And the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' robe found her kairos moment in healing with God. As good stewards of Kronos time, we often miss obvious kairos opportunities. A moment lost is an opportunity gone forever. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, two religious leaders see a wounded man bleeding and dying by the side of the road, but their agenda is too important to them. Their calendars are full. They're working on their list and they walk on by. They miss the opportunity for a Kairos moment of healing of God's moment with them. We forget that time and opportunity, Kairos and Kronos, are both gifts from God to be used for His glory. Life is not only about working vigorously, it is also about being, to, being alert to those kairos moments to glorify God. Instead of thinking of time only as grains of sand slipping through an hourglass, we ought to also view our time as opportunities to allow God to work in and through us. We can't be in such a hurry as the priest and the Levite that our kairos moment passes us by. It's true that we live in a Kronos world, but there are many Kairos moments to be experienced. Let's not be so focused on meeting deadlines that we miss opportunities for ministry and miracles. Zacchaeus 
blind Bartimaeus, and the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' robe were all seeking Christ. They recognized their need to experience a Kairos moment. We too must be willing to seek God and His will for us each day of our lives. The evangelist Billy Graham said, patience is a part of true Christ-likeness, something we so often admire in others without demanding it of ourselves. Psalm 37 reminds us, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. To be patient is to listen for God's leading in each of our lives. To be patient is to take a deep breath and fill yourself with the joy of each day that God has given you. To be patient is to be aware of those Kairos moments in life, the moments for miracles. God does hear our prayers. Be faithful, be still, and know that God answers in His time and not ours. Let us pray together. Holy God, you are so faithful. We praise you for your faithfulness. And as we listen to the story of David, we are in awe at the way he is patient to wait for your word and his faith is so strong. God, we ask that our faith might be renewed, that we might have the faith that waits for those miracles, those Kairos moments in each of our lives Help us to not be so busy that we forget to watch for your miracles. Give us joy, give us peace, and help us to know that you hear our prayers. We ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you all so much for being here. We want to thank everyone who helped make this service possible. And we want to give a special thanks to Pastor Sheila for sharing this powerful message. And speaking of, if you know someone who would benefit from hearing this message, we encourage you to like and share this experience on social media. Thank you so much for doing that. And now we look forward to seeing you back here next week for week nine of our sermon series on David. See you next time. Bring dry 
problems to life and to what you are famous for, what you are famous for. I believe in you, God. I believe in you. Release your love inside of me. Release your power. are possible in you, God of exceedingly, God of abundantly, more than we ask or think, Lord, you will never fail, your name is powerful, your words unstoppable, all things are possible Fortress over and 